Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anytime anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Martin Lee and this is the Autosport Podcast. Max Verstappen reigns supreme twice. It was a sprint weekend at the Belgian Grand Prix, but for the Sunday event, leading Red Bull to a 1-2 finish, despite starting from sixth because of a grid place gearbox penalty. Despite the setback, he took the leads and maintained it until the end, and boy, did he extract a big lead by the time he finally took it. Sergio Perez initially took the lead over Charles Leclerc at the beginning of the Grand Prix today, but he came home second for a Red Bull 1-2. And that Ferrari of Charles Leclerc coming home third, followed home by uh, Lewis Hamilton in fourth. To discuss everything that happens for the final race before the summer break, I'm joined by Matt Cube, who is over at Spa. Also, Philip Clearan, our F1 reporter, who has been on location as well and here back in the UK, simply because we had him on. A bit of Formula E duty doing his uh, his old haunt, and that is our F1 writer, Jake Boxall Leg. Right, uh, Matt, I'll start with you. Actually, funny old weekend weather-wise. Didn't really test Max Verstappen today. Took him a while to get the lead, didn't it? It was the first set of pit stops uh, before he eventually woke up and thought, oh, I better overtake Sergio Perez. And, off, and then off he scampered down the road. So the rain didn't really deliver, but we still saw another supreme performance from our champion-elect. Yeah, it's been a very uh, wet weekend, which um, we've all blamed on Phil, really, being as he is our resident Belgium. My trainers got absolutely soaked. So I had to fill them with kitchen roll to dry them out. And I've been emptying the kitchen roll and sort of flushing it down the toilet, but only taking it in a couple of sheets at the time. So it doesn't look like I've been up to anything too unbroadcastable. But as for Max Verstappen, he, he's lost his touch, hasn't he? It's what I said in a video earlier. It took him 17 laps to get into Leeds uh, from sixth place. Well, he, he started uh, 14th last year and did it in 12 laps. So Red Bull have lost it. He's lost his magic touch. Uh, not at all. He was, he was, uh, he was, fantastic again you know the way the way he came through the gap he pulled to Perez 
clean overtakes, the the power of that uh, Red Bull package and the Honda engine is straight light. What I would say though is it's not his finest race execution. So what we've become used to in in 2023 is him really sort of um, you know doing doing a bit of leading from pole, breaking the DRS zone immediately. Uh, building up to his or leaning into his tyres and then thrashing them and building like a 12 second gap in in a couple of laps that that sort of thing that he does this one was a bit more messy it was sort of um, tinged with arrogance wasn't it so this time he he nailed his tyres straight away as he, he put them on and and as Alex has written for autosport.com you risk either two things with that which is either sort of they overheat and you speed up the rate of degradation or because you're putting so much force with them when they're stone cold relative they've come out of blankets but you cause them to grain you tear the surface so he did those by chasing after fastest lap and then going, oh, you know, guys, let's just have a bit of pit stop practice. So, you know, he got away with that cockiness because it didn't come back to bite him in a, you know, in a retirement or a crash or whatever. But from that over exuberance, if you were nitpicking and let's face it, with Max Verstappen's insanely high level in 2023, you have to nitpick to have something to talk about. Uh, that was that was sort of the the, the blemish on his, uh, the blot on his copybook today, wasn't it? Just uh, taking too much out of those tyres and um, and sort of going a bit rogue. Uh, while the Perez story has died down about him being a direct title rival yeah. and stuff, it's just those little bits where he does what he likes, defies uh, team orders a bit, like we had in Brazil last year. We just go, this, this is a driver so good so important to Red Bull that he can he can do what he likes and, and get away with it they're not going to tear up his contract or threaten him with a with a, a suspended fine or anything like that <laughs> yeah he's not getting his first written warning is he on a disciplinary uh, Phil just about the only drama uh, was another broken trophy come on what happened there after the uh, after the photos yeah it's just a, a typical um, team photo that they were doing outside the garage in the pit lane Christian Horner and other team members were uh, desperately trying to avoid being showered by champagne we all know the feeling don't we every Sunday night no but then chaos ensued and somebody knocked over that pit board and which then went into I think it was the constructors trophy it was destroyed into I don't know how many pieces it was proper broken so another one to go back to the manufacturer to can we have another one please they do make replicas obviously sometimes because the driver contracts say the originals end up uh, you know McLaren were famous for starting that I think it was the 80s they started that of, of uh, we get the original ones. yeah and I do anyway they yeah. do keep racking them up so I know they've got a lot of them <laughs> and they keep collecting them this season but you know maybe at some point they should try and look after them a little bit better but on Max's performance just really impressive yeah 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 in a class of his own really just incredible um, it actually did take him as you said it, take, it took him quite a while to get to the lead um, probably a few factors for that uh, it was stuck in a DRS train like other mere mortals around him. Now he knows what that feels like as well. And then actually, Checo Perez was doing a really good job on a on a soft tyres in the first stint. So Max wasn't really closing him down much. Is just when they switched to the mediums for the second stint that uh, Max was really just a class apart, and Perez was really struggling to keep up with him. Even Perez's reaction said it all. Like he was just happy to wave him past to let him go off into the distance and take put him 20, 22 seconds on him which uh it's incredible it's amazing when he finally uh woke up or woke up the tires or whatever whatever happened and he was like oh okay off off we go now and just uh I, okay so it's a very long lap here 
which is why we only had 11 laps of the sprint yesterday by the time the safety car had, had trundled around. Uh, but still, in just those short laps to stretch out a second a lap over his uh, over the other car was just amazing. JBL, from a technical perspective, because you, know, you are a resident technical guru as well as now being full-time on the F- F1 team, um, I think... Either I forget who mentioned it earlier on the video that we made for our YouTube channel, either you know myself or Matt. I think Matt made the point that it's it's a great all round car that RB nineteen. Um, I'd like to dig a little bit more into on the podcast why they can almost do anything with that car. Now I can't work out whether the the radio calls between Max and his engineer GP whether they was like playing it up slightly for the media. They do get they work together, you know, forever since. Uh, Kvyat left and, and Max came in so uh, like they've got such a great relationship it sounded tetchy I think there was I suspect a little bit of playing it up knowing that that get that would get broadcast the engineer was saying don't take the life out of your tires don't do another quick lap next time around another fastest lap like he was just it was cocky but it seems like like they can almost do anything with that car it's it's so perfect, and and Matt was Matt was making the point. It, it, you know, it's not like it's some sort of two thousand horsepower, you know, fire breathing power unit with crap aero. It's just great everywhere. Can you give us any more insights into your opinion of why the RB nineteen has has just ticked every box, every track it's gone to? Well, just on the the, the team and driver, yeah, team driver relationship. Um, I think it's always the case of the engineers always, always, always err on the side of caution. That's just the way they are, and they would always love to have more downforce or more power, more everything because they, they they don't want things to be too close and too too many things left to chance and so when you hear Verstappen on the radio go ah oh, we could do this he probably knows that he can do absolutely everything with the car he could theoretically whack it into the gravel pull it out and he'd still go and win the race you just have that you know the the pit wall erring on the side of caution because they want to wrap up the win that's just the way it is the reason it's so good okay so it's got good straight line speed it's got tons of downforce it seems to have the most sophisticated suspension package. So where it places, where it sort of uses that downforce is, is, is mighty overlap. So it's good in every single type of corner. The team just seems to know what to do with, with, with regards to suspension setup every single race. Um, it's got the best driver. Uh, it's got an aerodynamic sort of ethos that teams are only just starting to cotton onto. Uh, Matt mentioned in the video that McLaren has shifted towards that style of kind of rear wing package with DRS and the beam wing and the the full rear wing kind of intertwining to create, you know, the most powerful DRS on on the grid because they know that the floor is so good. Our, our colleague uh, from the Netherlands edition, Ronald Vording, uh, frequently during FP1 taking pictures of the undersides of cars because they always crash near him. I took a picture in Monaco of uh, Sergio Perez's floor and we saw how advanced uh, the RB19 was at that point in time. It's it's advanced further. So there's just all of these things that just add up to make something that is just relentlessly brilliant in every single climate. And I, I did a feature last week looking at the kind of relative super times, which is taking the fastest lap of each car over the weekend and sort of creating a percentage of which teams over the balance of the year uh, have you know are quickest. And the Red Bull advantage over a single lap in qualifying, it's not that big. It's about 0.3 of a percent, which is the lower end of domination. If you if you compare it to 
I don't know, the, the, the uh, McLaren MP44 from 1988, that car was about 1.1% faster than every other car, which is quite a lot. It, it, you know, that's, a, that's over a second. So it's not that much quicker in qualifying trim, but the fact that it's just able to reel off lap after lap after lap of just this relentless consistency that Verstappen is just able to do whatever he wants with that car. That's why it's so strong. And it's more similar, I would say, in domination terms to the Ferrari from 2004, in that it was not particularly that much quicker in qualifying compared to the BARs or the Renaults or later in the season, the McLaren and the Williams. It was just the fact that Schumacher was just lap after lap after lap, just able to do whatever he wanted in that car. And it just worked for him. And so the team won 15 out of 18 races. And I dare say we're going to get more than that this year. There is an interesting element of that, of course, which driver is putting in the fastest lap in that car. Uh, Matt, I wonder if I could pick your brains a little bit, because I've been trying to find new angles on this podcast to talk about. Because I don't don't just say Max Verstappen won the race, let's talk about the others, because that's really disrespectful to... What the period of Formula One that we are all living through, which is incredible. So I'm trying to find different angles every week to talk about, Max. But one of, one of the things I came into this weekend thinking I must ask Matt about, and that's about the drivers and the car itself. Now, Sergio Perez has been with the team a while, but Max has been with it longer. If Charles Leclerc had put together an end to that race and challenged Checo and maybe even put a move on him and come home second or something, I kind of wouldn't have been surprised because that RB19 in Verstappen's hands is bonkers. The RB19 in Perez's hands is good. So how much of that car is on that team even, Matt, that you see week in, week out when you're in the paddock is just designed around what Max Verstappen wants out of a race car that he's been in a race car all his life? And how much of that is that it's Max's car and whoever drives, whether it's Ricardo next time or whatever, is always going to be driving his car. Is there an element to that truth or not? That's different now. And you can, you can, well, you know, in, in, let's say the sixties, let's say Colin Chapman, you know that if he has a lead driver, they're going to get the, the newer chassis, the fresher brakes, the, the, you know, better part. And we still see that to some extent in modern F1 where the lead driver gets the new front wing first because they're, you know, they're seen as they can be more effective with it or they're a safer pair of hands, less likely to break it. But when Adrian Newey, Pierre Vacher are set in the Melton Keynes design office, they are working to design the fastest Formula One car to the rules. That cannot be compromised in any way to go well we'll make it slightly more pointy at the rear end because that suits Max Verstappen and he's the talisman and he's going to be here longer than Perez so we'll we'll put it slightly more in that direction that that's not how it works it's all about making the best car possible so that's like the bigger picture stuff and so therefore you know with manufacturing tolerances design uh, uh, and processes being what they are today there should be no theoretical difference between the car Verstappen gets and the car that's unloaded for Perez at a race weekend but it's then obviously how you conduct the sessions Verstappen knows very much so what he wants from that car and then can refine the setup refine the springs whatever and then that's when I think Perez is Christian Horner said Perez is the driver that needs an arm around their shoulder so does he you know then when he's done FP1 he's looked he's you know, you offset engine modes, fuel loads, he's four tenths a lap, let's pluck a number out there, yeah, four tenths a lap slower than Verstappen. This is where the psychological edge comes into it. Does he try and refine the car that so he's happiest with it? Or does he look to think 
basically if we can't beat him, join him. So get as close to Verstappen by mimicking his style, his setup, whatever, to try and match the lap time that way. And that's what did for Gasly. That's what did for Albon. And you know, it's what what has been sort of and and with with the sort of golf with Perez, you 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 look at that somewhat. But yeah, I know I, I know. There's we're looking at it from a different angle, but it is a certain element as Verstappen is mega. Perez is a good operator, but he's not he's not a world champion material. It's not like Hamilton or Russell, where even though this isn't a very good season for Russell, they are both mega drivers that you in in the right machinery could win, you know, a, a world championship and Lewis fan, Russell fan, whatever you are, you could you know, that that decision of who's the better driver or who could win the title there is a bit more toss of the coin than knowing that Verstappen is emphatically the best driver at Red Bull and will always beat Perez. The RB19 is is good. Red Bull are a little bit like it's a jack of all trades, master of none. We haven't like locked in a trick. So what the hell are these guys been doing for the last 18 months? The fact that they've not been caught there, they seem genuinely surprised at. And especially with the ATR penalty from, from exceeding the cost cap last year. And as JBL said, this is not a McLaren MP44. It's not a game changer with new technology like a Lotus 72. It's just a bloody good race car. Mm-hmm. Um and and Verstappen is doing more with that than than Perez, so I sort of ha- hope that answers it. Yes, the car is good, and that's why Red Bull are top. But what Verstappen is doing in that car is leagues above what Versta- uh, Perez is doing. It. Mm. I hope I hope that sort of yeah. answers your question a bit. Here's a question I wrote down yesterday on the Saturday podcast with Sam when we were talking about Max Verstappen starting down in sixth with a gearbox grid penalty. They took a new one this weekend, and and how he could you know nobody wants to see Bottas skittles again with uh, with Verstappen and uh, and so I wrote I thought like let me ask this on the Sunday podcast twenty four hours later I'll ask all of you I'll start with Matt and we'll do a round robin can Red Bull okay let me let me phrase it differently will Red Bull win every race this season although it's become much harder because you said will rather than can they I'm still going to say yes partly because yes. there's a perverse sense to me that wants to see it just go right I was there for that bit you know absolute domination second is because reliability is so strong now that and that's that's across the grid we we're not really laughing at Ferrari catching fire all the time the reliability with with the changes you can make under the sort of engine freeze that's come a long way the execution, race strategy, pit stops are, are genuinely slick. What Verstappen is doing, if Perez can sort of be a bit more of a rear gunner to keep the Red Bull fight alive if Verstappen ever was to hit trouble. And the sort of the biggest factor is that no one can decide who wants to be second. So when you've got McLaren, Mercedes, Aston Martin, Ferrari all swapping places, they're so busy sort of tearing strips off one another that they're, they're not making massive inroads against Red Bull. So no one's breathing down their neck. So uh, yeah, apart, you know, and then so you're back to where we were after race one and, and Verstappen blows everyone away where you're still relying on a frozen wheel nut or a, a random hmm. crash or mechanical failure to decide anything. And they're just not, they're so fleeting at the minute. There's not even, you know, uh, not to do them too much for disservice, but there's not even a Latifi or a Mick Schumacher now to bin it off and cause a crash. Like I know Logan Sargent's not setting the world on fire, but he's, he's, been sort of competent throughout so you're not even having random interjections that are, are throwing strategy and ruining one stop two stops so uh it's it is hard to see where the where the chink in the armor is 
Yeah, I miss drivers taking the wrong turning on the circuit and then not blaming themselves. Let's, uh, uh, Phil, what do you reckon? I, mean, I certainly think they can, but for the sake of argument, I'm going to say no. First of all, historically, statistically, it hasn't happened. It, you know, it means another 10 perfect weekends, 22 perfect weekends in total. Hmm, yeah, they can do it, but um, yeah, they still have a lot of work to do. Having said that, I also think that as good as they are now, they are not going to develop as much as some other teams that are squabbling over P2 with Aston, with Mercedes, with Ferrari. I don't see Red Bull being beaten anytime soon, but I think like we saw last year with uh, George winning in Brazil, I think by the end of the season, there might be like a sneak win in there for one of the uh, contenders for P2. I'm going to say no as well, purely out of uh, hope for something outside of the current status quo just so you want some spice um it's it's basically a case of can it happen yes absolutely i think it's definitely the case that um the red bull is is of a sufficient quality to do it um so there i agree with phil in terms of will it happen um I think that there is there is a a jean-louis schlesser moment in there somewhere I can sense it. I don't know when it will be. Maybe it will be at Monza again. I don't know. I have a feeling that it might come to an end. The streak will come to an end at some point. So, yeah, that question came from yesterday. I was talking to Sam Hall, our colleague from autosport.com, who looks after all the news. And uh, uh, we were talking, we're discussing about why Verstappen was so angry about just scraping through to Q3. There's no doubt if he'd have started 11th, he would still have won the race today. But he is just a competitive machine. And that is that was an insight into his psychology, which we knew anyway. We don't need any more examples of how competitive the Verstappen family have made him. But also thinking about the, you know, the, the longest running team principle in that pit lane is a certain sea horner and he would love to continue to break new ground new records write new things with his name next to it in the history books that's i I can see them really going for it and being very competitive not just backing off and being like ah we didn't win that one it's okay i think they want it i think that everyone at the team wants it right we'll take a quick break 20 20 plus minutes in we'll take a quick break when we'll come back we'll talk about why it wasn't the best battle behind max verstappen today stick around back in a sec Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the battle behind Max Verstappen, though. Um, Phil, I'll come to you, actually, because you were there today. You were watching it. How much When you were sitting in the press room uh, working away today during the Grand Prix, how much were you looking at the times, the battle between 2, 3, and 4? So Perez, 
and Leclerc and Hamilton because it was very much as you are, really. Hold your station. No one really made a move. Mercedes didn't bring Hamilton. He, ha- he had enough gap behind him if they'd wanted to with, I don't know, 18, 16 or 18 laps to go. I guess if they'd wanted, uh, they could have brought him in, put him on a new set of tyres and done like 16 qualifying laps just to see if that would have done anything to put some stress on you know, uh, on Leclerc, get a final podium position, but he had enough of a gap over uh, Fernando Alonso. Uh, he did take a stop at the end to get the fastest lap, but there was no contra strategies. It was, it was all very sort of after you, really, uh, positions two, three, and four. Were you paying much attention to that? And, and, you know, why do you think we didn't? We saw loads of action further back, but nothing really in that immediate battle behind Max. Yeah, it's a good question. I think, first of all, Ferrari and Mercedes were quite evenly matched there on race pace. And, yeah, you know, like I said, Lewis got close, but he wasn't really ever in a position to do much about it, despite Mercedes having perhaps a stronger top speed than than they have had in previous races. So, I think you know it's. I think it's more about Ferrari having a really solid race with Leclerc, with um, you know, with all the issues that they've been having with lack of consistency and um, just tire degradation. I think perhaps the cooler conditions helped them today as well. There was less degradation than maybe they expected. I think Ferrari just had a good race. Hamilton didn't quite have enough pace to threaten Leclerc, and that was that really. And then after that. They were clearly the two quickest teams, and then uh, McLaren wasn't quite there because they just didn't have the right setup for this dry race. Aston were, I think, better than maybe they expected on this kind of circuit, but not quite up to the level of Ferrari and, and Mercedes. So then, you know, you're, you can't really expect overtaking if people are just in the right position for their cars, really. Matt, on the video earlier, video earlier that we made for the YouTube channel, you were, you said it, you know there was lots of overtaking, but not a lot of great racing. And I thought about that afterwards. I thought, well, we did see Albon go round the outside on fresh tyres. We did see Ocon go round the outside on fresh tyres in unexpected places. We did see some racing today, but yeah, you're right. A lot of the overtakes were DRS assisted, but that battle for two, three, four was pretty boring. Nothing happened really. Boring race behind Verstappen. Actually, Martin, I, I'm totally willing to meet you halfway because I came away from that video thinking oh what about Albon and what about the the Alpine side by side so you're right there was there it was somewhere between you know simple DRS passes and a dearth of good racing and actually being a bit of like preamble action and then a bit of fight back after which makes it way way more satisfying the weird thing is that it's identical to to last year both in terms of like order and intervals even down to the fact that apart from basically Alonso swapping um blue for green overalls it's the same all the way down so that's you know depressing that we're now a year on from ferrari having last won a race uh that despite mercedes changing side pod design and and you know the restructure there they're still not that much closer you know ferrari have fallen back and red bull are still being allowed to lead so that means perez can have a have a comfortable second place and yeah that doesn't make for great racing and it raises bigger questions i think about the effectiveness of these rules that okay you can follow each other more closely but because uh the the air has been basically moved underneath to ground effect um you're losing some power to slipstream so you just uh so you have drs the car goes by and then on like the long cable straight you can't then tuck back in and, and, and mount a fight back and it also raises points about 
okay, the cost cap, we need like a longer time span to see how it all plays out. But maybe it would have been cool if under previous regulations, Mercedes can go, oh, damn it. Right, fetch the blank check and we'll catch Red Bull and we'll outspend them. We'll really flex our muscles. And, and Lawrence Stroll can go, right, in order to make my son a world champion I need a car that's a second quicker than everyone else's so let's build that and and put pressure on Red Bull that way whereas the cost cap is for ultimately for the greater good but seems to be in that battle behind Verstappen seems to be denying us in in the shorter term well I'm so pleased you mentioned Ferrari in your answer because I'd written down Ferrari to talk about in the the second segment of the podcast JBL maybe I can aim this one at you yesterday in the sprint we saw Ferrari uh, I mentioned in yesterday's podcast they could have been second and third in the sprint and I came away from yesterday's show thinking I I hope I get this right because if I'm not the listeners will certainly bring me up on it and I think I can make a a reasonable argument that if their pit stops had been good they could possibly have been second and third in the sprint yesterday but you know a 10 second stop a five and a half second stop and Ferrari fans would possibly say yeah but it's because it was everyone was diving into the pits in laps one and two on the sprint yesterday and they were doing the right thing and holding their drivers and I saw I swear, like three or four unsafe releases yesterday, which I don't know what the stewards were looking at, but that if I, those mechanics have got absolute balls of steel because that was, it was, we knew it was going to be chaos in a small pit lane, a narrow pit lane, but hell's bells. That was scary stuff yesterday. And Ferrari didn't. They, they kept their drivers. They held them. They, they released them safely. So again, they did that, but also they could have been better yesterday. They got a podium again today. Is there any risk, do you think, JBL, of, getting a podium that that could possibly give them a false sense that you're having a terrible season and they've got to make big changes what are your thoughts on ferrari it's a circuit that's that suited the sensibilities of this year's car the thing is um ferrari still doesn't know quite what the whole sensibilities of this year's car quite is and there's the situation where if you look at ferrari on the gps data it's really, really strong until you get to that real sort of top end of the top speed. And that's where the Red Bull starts to kick in. And so you see the Ferrari sort of going good guns down the straight. But then when you get to that final little bit before Lecom on the Kemmel straight, that's where, you know, the Red Bull, by that point, that's the faster car. So I think it's it's something that Ferrari still doesn't quite know where the strengths of this car add up. And, and, and I think the next two rounds at Zandvoort and Monza, they're going to be the key... Uh, demonstrators of that can it perform on a sort of slower compact circuit can it perform on a proper fast circuit uh it kind of remains to be seen i do think that the team is aware i don't think they're gonna sort of like go come out of belgium and think oh we've had a good race now so everything's fixed i i don't think you know fred vassar and his team is under any illusions that that's the case and he's still going through a sort of management uh I wouldn't say upheaval, but his sort of um, assessment of where the team is at and looking at what changes he can make for 2024 and beyond, because I don't think he's entirely satisfied with everything. And I don't think Spa is going to necessarily just change that. Um, I think, you know, the team's still fundamentally, it's in a much better place than it was maybe a couple of years ago, but it still has a lot of work to do. Uh, well, you're a brave man to go to Ferrari and be the team boss. Um so this is not going to be the work of a moment. And I think Fred fully knew that when he signed up for it. It's going to take time. It's going to take uh, a lot of time and a lot of patience to really fully turn that team around. 
they can clearly make a very fast car over one lap. But the, we've not really seen a total package from them for a number of years. So it, it's not going to be um, the work of a moment. Okay, let me run through the top 10, which I'm painfully aware that I've not done yet. Max Verstappen, Sergio Perez, Charles Leclerc was our podium today. And finishing ooh, 17 seconds or so back was Lewis Hamilton because he did a late pit stop to get the fastest lap. Uh, still finishing seven, eight seconds or so ahead of Fernando Alonso. In the first of the Aston Martins, he was fifth. Then George Russell in the second Mercedes. Seventh, Lando Norris. Eighth, Esteban Ocon in the Alpine. Ninth, Lance Stroll in the second Aston, and a great performance for Yuki Tsunoda to get a point in AlphaTauri, a car that is statistically uh, earlier this season, not so far ago actually in the season, was statistically the worst car on the Formula One grid and, uh, and getting a point, which is great. So some great racing from Yuki uh, today as well. Uh, let's have a little nibble then at those drivers that made up the uh, the rest of the top 10, you know, Fernando, George, Lando. Matt, I want to talk about Lando Norris with you. He said after the race, he has no idea how he finished seventh, which is, okay, let's go back and do some work on that. Uh, but at one point, I think... Lando was running last or maybe second to last with that really early stop onto the soft when the rain was coming down. I saw on the infographic on screen that he was diving into the pits and I was like, oh, wow, they're gambling on Inters. But they went softs and uh, it would have been n- nobody with Inters. I, uh, this is why I'm not running strategy for a Formula One team. Uh, and um, it really paid off. What's the story there with Lando having no idea why he was uh, ending up seventh today? It was it was a minor bump, wasn't it? Because you've got the podiums in Austria, Silverstone, Piastri uh, in the sprint race yesterday, and then and then this sort of um, this seventh place, and it was a not a lucky seventh place, but um, almost an impressive one. The fact that they in that first stint, okay, it was Piastri pulled over with the steering damage, but it looked like Norris had been collected or something because he just had no pace. He dropped three positions in the first stint, and so. McLaren, who were you know very methodical under Stella, under Stella, they went a bit rogue and thought, right, this hard tire that we've not used all weekend, well we were good on it at other races, so let's you know stick it on here and hope for hope for the best, and that didn't work either. The the intention being that you know um, to get to get Norris into some clean air, but they put him on that tire and then realised that basically because of the degradation, he's having to having to lift to manage those tires so he's holding up everyone in in like through our rouge and radion and then he's pretty quick in the middle sector but obviously um you, you can't overtake so easily through there so they're really hamstrung and then basically they pit again and then and then it's like effectively although it's an extra stop it's an undercut and they wait for everyone to cycle through and that's why norris goes well hang on I think I'm running in last and I've ended up in seventh place. So that's how I cycle through. But it was a bit of a, it was an interesting weekend for McLaren and actually almost like maybe them doing badly underlines how good they are. So to, to sort of flesh that out a bit. So the, the seventh place, they, they came into this weekend sort of um, with that Red Bull style rear wing, beam wing configuration. So big rear wing, sort of main surface, low drag beam wing. So they can be efficient in a straight line, open a DRS and get a really powerful effect from that. Red Bull as an aside going, blummin' hell, how has it taken the finest engineers in the world 18 months to cotton onto this and only one team's managed to copy it? It's like, what are you playing at, guys? Come on. Uh, but 
because McLaren has spent the last you know few races just this wholesale upgrade all the resources have gone into that for like this this greater good um but that's come at the expense of they don't have at the minute a, a, a spa or monza spec rear wing that they can pluck off the shelf so fine when it rains as it did in in a sprint race they're a bit they were a bit exposed in in the normal race there and, and norris began to began to suffer from that so mclaren seventh place having messed up its tires not optimise its strategy, sort of shot in the dark on the hards and having a car that's really not set up for this track. I'd actually take that all day long and, and basically tell my engineers, mechanics, people in the um, in a production office to pull a finger out and get a get a slither of a rear wing for Monza and, and make some space in the trophy <laughs> cabinet even. Absolutely. That's it's it's great to see uh when that strategy, that contra strategy of uh there was a lot of different tire strategies this uh, to today. Oh man, tire chat. I know people hate it, but I, I do quite enjoy that chess game style of, of Grand Prix racing, which is why I don't like the sprint races, even though it's a long lap here. Eleven laps yesterday, really. You gave my whole Saturday was put aside really to watch eleven laps at the end of the day. I'm not sure that's worth anyone's time, but still I'm not a fan of it. It works very well. I'm clearly an outlier with that opinion happy to be wrong uh, but that's why i like watching endurance racing because and, and that's what grand prix racing is because is you get you, you've got time to uh, to see how things play out phil can I ask you about that uh, that sort of battle further down you know well let's talk about fifth sixth seventh you know alonso russell norris ocon stroll sonoda how the rest of the top 10 uh, you know shook out fernando alonso coming into this weekend saying if we are you know ninth that's about right well did much better but 56 seconds behind the leader. Phil, what are your thoughts on what you saw today? A little battle further down. Well, I was really getting excited about answering your question. Then you then you mentioned the 56 seconds. I was like, oh, God. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, but I think you actually made a good point there, Martin, uh, talking about the different strategies. I mean, we were talking earlier about uh, how there was some good action further down the order, and that's because we had strategic variants. There were one-stoppers. I think... The, if I'm not mistaken, three people only stopped once. We had people stopping three times. And that's where you got all those battles from. Um, more about Aston Martin, I think. Yeah. 56 seconds behind Max is not great. But they've had some really poor races recently after the amazing start that they've had. So I think this was maybe not a return to form. Because, you know, we've had... Uh, um, no Alonso podium for a, a couple of races now, but definitely this was not their strongest circuit, I don't think. Um, and yeah, it seems like Fernando was really happy after the race. Say he was, you know, the car gave him confidence. He was really happy with it. Uh, certainly after Silverstone, they were really a bit um, concerned about how they were going to do at a track like this. And you know, it's it's this. Um, uh, something that they can build on, maybe they're they're going to have to find some solutions as to why they've they've uh, started slipping back. Um, but yeah, fifth place. That's uh, you know ahead of Russell, ahead of Norris, who's been ahead of the Astons in recent races. So it's it's not all bad, certainly. All right, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, final segment of the podcast is Alpines to talk about standout performances down the grid. Great for Sonoda. I saw some great racing today with Albon and Gasly at times and more as well. And a first corner incident, which we will dive into next. Stick around. 
a welcome back to the podcast. Right, final segment. Uh, let's finish off by talking about what was one of the defining moments of that that first lap, really. It put two cars out, and that was the clash between Carlos Sainz and Oscar Piastri. Oscar went for the inside of the first turn. There's a concertina effect that happens at this circuit as well. It does pinch up, and he was uh, Oscar was caught between uh, the Ferrari of Sainz and the wall. Afterwards, Carlos Sainz said, I've been racing for seven or eight years at Spa, and everyone who has tried that move on the inside of T1 always generated an incident or a crash. DNFs for Oscar Piastri and Carlos Sainz eventually retired the car. Big side pod damage. JBL, I'll come to you to talk about that incident. Uh, that was pretty much Oscar's fault, wasn't it? That sort of a rookie season era. Bit of a exuberance, or did you read it another way? Could Sainz have... Because he did have room on the outside to the Mercedes. He, he, there was a good meter or so. He could have given him more room. Uh, how did you read that one? Uh, for me, it was six of one and half a dozen of the other. And uh, I, I do agree that um, sticking it down the inside at La Source is, is brave. I'll give it that. Um you know, you, you pop it down the inside, you are pretty much at the mercy of somebody else giving you a little bit more space. Otherwise, you just get chopped off. And I think nine times out of ten, you probably are going to get chopped off. In saying that, there was the possibility for science to give him space there. And I think perhaps he should have done. I think the issue was slightly compounded by the fact that he locked up, was trying to avoid the cars ahead. And so he sort of jerked his steering wheel to the right. Piastri, there was a bit of space for kind of Piastri to get down the inside. I do think that science was a little bit robust in going for the same stretch of track, let's say, as Piastri. Um, and, and so it was a little bit unfortunate for both. Uh, Piastri's steering and front end was basically just gone. So that cost him uh, the chance of a follow-up of his excellent sprint race. Uh and Sainz had a giant battle scar down the side of his car that was costing tons of performance. I think they said over the radio it was like 5% aero balance or something like that. It was compromised, which is crazy. And you saw him plummet down the field. You know, it was just absolute cannon fodder for all of the midfield runners. And after trundling around at the back, Ferrari decided to, to pull him in and um, uh, save the engine mileage, which I think, you know, probably a little bit overdue at that point. But yeah, I think honestly, six and half, one and a half dozen the other. And I'm not just saying that just to be to to avoid making a decision. But I do think both drivers in that circumstance could have done something different and come through that corner unscathed. Um, so I think both of them have themselves to blame. Yeah, I'd love to have seen what Oscar Piastri could have done today. Uh, I'd love to see with McLaren having two cars in the race, being able to play with a bit of strategy as well, but we were denied uh, denied that. Phil, your thoughts on that T1 incident? Yeah, to me, it was just a stereotypical Spartan one racing incident. With three cars going into two spaces, effectively. I think I'm not blaming Oscar for going for it, but I think if he had watched the footage of all the F1, F2, F3 starts of the past 10 years at Spa and seen all the incidents that happened in similar fashion, I don't think it would have gone for it. There was a bit of room actually on the outside of science. I, I did put a lot of blame on Piastri when I first saw that, but uh, looking back at it a couple of times, they probably could have got through that unscathed. And uh, yeah, Ferrari had the pace. That was, uh, I understand why uh, Science was upset today because Ferrari had some decent pace. Uh, let's finish off by talking about some of the other great things that we saw today. I think there, there were some very interesting things to talk about uh, down the grid. Alpine was certainly one of them. 
And Matt, I'll come to you to talk about Alpine, actually, because they've obviously made some wholesale changes from the top at Lauren Rossi, who's doing special projects. Okay, then, uh, then you know, Omar Saf now uh, leaving as well, but was still there. Now, often is the case when you talk about very senior people, when they agree to leave by mutual consent, then they're you know they're gardening the next day or fishing or on the beach or whatever. But uh, but no, no, all the management leaving. Alan Pomain, uh, they're still there doing their job. Whether we'll see them back after the summer break is probably a lot less likely. Uh, but those people who are leaving were still there today, still running the team, and and again. Maybe the same question to you that I asked JBL about Ferrari perhaps being given some false hope with a good result. Then Alpine did well yesterday, finishing the top three yesterday and today. Esteban Arcon's turn to finish eighth. Gasly just outside the points in 11th. What do you think about Alpine's performance this weekend? And, you know, probably a little word from you, your opinion on what they need to do in uh, in the, the rest of the season with some management changes coming in. I think it's a case of one one swallow doesn't make a summer, does it? Yes, they're a bit back on track with you know what they were good at last year, which is bolting on an upgrade and having an instant performance. Not like Mercedes where you need a few races to validate it, see if it's working and then refine it. Alpine are pretty good at getting theirs right out of the box, uh, which is something that incidentally... Otmar was very keen on on pushing and whatever, and and he he's gone. Um, you know, like the, these changes, F one teams. The, the cliche is like it's like turning the fortunes of a, of an F one team around. It's like sort of directing a cruise ship. It takes ages. So any success you saw today is a result of basically what has happened under Pemain and and Otmar's tenure. Um, but it's 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 chaos, isn't it? There, like um, you know, to get rid of those guys. I, it is is a baffling decision that the turnover you've got you know Renault hero in in um and uh, Alan Prost saying Rossi's you know an imbecile what on earth, what on earth is he doing with his arrogance and taking it out on other people yeah Rossi's on special projects as I've written in GP Racing that special project involves writing a new CV and and a new cover letter that's that's you know what will be <laughs> taking up his his day to day but it's it's madness what's going on. You know, Bruno uh, Famine, the guy who's basically... The, I don't say this too disparagingly. He's got loads of experience in Peugeot Motorsport, but then he's, you know, came into F1 basically tasked with managing the FIA's COVID response and, and um, testing programme and then does a year at Viri presiding over an unreliable, unpowerful engine and now has been given the top, jo- top job like as an interim basis. I think he's probably... A, it's a bit of a thankless task rather than laying too much blame at his feet. But with the turnover, with the 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 understanding that basically Pemain and Otmar have gone, we have this 100 race timeline, that is realistic. You want success overnight, that is not realistic. And management going, right, off you go then, because that's not what we want to hear. Who replaces them? Because with the turnover and, and with that sort of short-term success, it's, it's so unrealistic that the, basically the... The people to replace them, whether that's Matteo Bonotto, which is a link, whoever. Well, you can't internally promote anyone because there's barely anyone left to sort of give the top job. But when it's so volatile, the person that goes into that job is either so unaware of what they're signing up for, knowing that they be giving a P45 in 18 months, or they go into it with their eyes open, going, it's just a short-term appointment, a payday, whatever. So they're either 
the, the, the next team manager is basically the misguided or Machiavellian and neither of which you want running your team. It's so, like I was speaking to another media colleague and just like, Michael Andretti write a check and take that team it's chaos it would do the Renault group a world of favours because it's so rudderless at the minute and it would be the easiest way and it is is a baffling decision I'm not saying like Otmar is 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 perfect um you know it depends what you want out of your team boss I I get the impression from the way he operates that he's like a kill you with kindness like um arm round shoulder kind of guy rather than like a hard taskmaster or real motivational leader he's you know more more softer than that and and that works maybe it's not the the way Renault wanted to go but Renault and Alpine have said they want to bring fresh ideas in an outside perspective Otmar's only been there 18 months so given sort of timelines in F1 the fresh ideas and perspectives you he bought in will only just be manifesting themselves and they're going to be replaced by the next person and the next person and the next person which which works in a cost cap era because when it's all about efficiency to make your pound or, or euro in this case go as far as possible then someone who's not like precious about how it was before and wants to keep structures in place someone who brings in a completely fresh understanding that can be good but you know with famine's cv of one year in f1 up to this point getting rid of Pemain, Safnauer, whatever, depending on who they get in next, Bonotto not a bad idea to help the engine be more competitive in the longer run, perhaps, but it's such a, it's going to be such a dearth of experience that, um, yeah, well, it's a really worrying science, isn't it? When, when Williams, if they can get CapEx sorted, have a convincing restructure and a great operator in James Vowers. When when Lawrence Stroll's spend and hire approach seems to be paying off largely. When McLaren, who you know we've waxed lyrical about Andrea Stella before, are on the right way. Like Alpine, uh, okay, maybe they thought they weren't making enough progress under the previous regime, but I'm almost certain they're going to go backwards as a result of the decisions they've made now. If I could just interject slightly uh first of all just completely agree with matt on on all of those points above and i just wanted to add that we've seen time and time again in formula one that boardroom meddling and corporate kind of culture and towing the company line that a big automotive concern sets out it never ever ever works and there are countless examples of formula one of car companies coming in and thinking oh we can do it our way and we can be this big bloated organization and as, as Matt mentioned, obviously, it's trying to turn things around in Formula One, it is like steering a big ship and you do have to wait a very, very long time for, for, for the, sh- the ship to change course. But at the same time, you have to be dynamic and you have to react to things. And to have a big car company basically kind of restricting that, but also expecting the world... Uh, it's it's absolutely madness, and you know there is the example of of Jaguar in the early two thousands um, when they took over Stewart. You know this was a team that had built up in in just three years from new team to uh, a team that was getting podiums and you know getting wins as well. Um, and then Jaguar took over the team, and they went through about four or five different team principles in the five years that it was in the championship and. It was because every single year um, you had the sort of corporate culture of, okay, well, you want to do these upgrades. Okay, well, let us escalate this in the boardroom and we'll discuss it and then we'll let you know. It's like, no, we need to do this now because 
these are the changes that we need to make to be competitive. And it's just this endless bloated kind of management. And yet at the same time, you know, Neil Ressler got the flick in in, in 2000 and, and Jackie Stewart went went as well because he was sort of dismayed at how his former team was being run. You had Bobby Rahal in 2001, you had Nicky Lauder in 2002, and then you had um, Tony Purnell in 2003 and 2004. And it was just this endless sort of cycle of management that just wasn't able to put its own ideas on the table because everything was just sort of being changed. And yet there was this sort of turgidness at the top level. And we're seeing that again. And we've seen it with Toyota before. We've seen it with other manufacturers. And now we're seeing it with the the, the Renault group and with Alpine. Alan Permain was there at a time when Benetton were hugely successful. He was there when a time when Renault was successful the first time. And this was just by letting the race team get on and do it. And now there just seems to be this huge amount of meddling, even pre and post, sorry, uh, with and post Laurent Rossi boardroom types meddling and meddling and meddling uh, and they have no f1 experience whatsoever so it's just absolutely bizarre how you know they can expect their ideas to work when they've not ever proven to work in a formula one environment there's a great story that our colleague mark gallagher who writes for gp racing magazine as does matt q and they do a great podcast together and matt may have heard this story before but mark tells it uh, about the board uh, Ford, who owned Jaguar back in the early 2000s, and of course Eddie Irvine was coming off the back of being the runner-up in the Formula One championship, came from Ferrari, very highly paid, highest paid person in the Ford organisation, and they're in a cost-cutting meeting, and someone sits around and goes, who is this E. Irvine, and why is he earning so much money? And it's like, you have a Formula One team, so that's why. Anyway, uh, let's highly recommend GP Racing Podcast, by the way, Flat Chat, uh, if you look for that in your podcast feeds. Let's finish off, uh, final few minutes, we'll talk about some outstanding performances. I'll let you pick who you want to talk about. I mentioned Yuki Tsunoda already getting a point in 10th and some decent drives down the field. Albon ran high and did some good driving but finished 14th. Ah, hey, I won't put words in your mouth. Who do you want to give some praise to today, Phil? You know what? I think I will go for Yuki Tsunoda because um, uh, this season, Afat Torres has been all about Nick DeFries and the pressure he was under and then they got rid of him, brought in Daniel Ricciardo. All the attention was on Daniel Ricciardo. It was always about the other seat, the other driver. So I do want to shine some light on Yuki Tsunoda. I think he's been quietly you know, uh, under the radar. And he's actually had a very solid season. I think if you go back to... Oh, I don't remember exactly which race this was. This may have been Austria... In the press conference, a lot of drivers were asked who their top three drivers of the season were. And actually, several drivers mentioned Yugi Tsunoda in the top three. Uh, so I think he's been quietly impressive in what has been a very, very difficult car. And he's sure he has not had a perfect season. He's had a few, few mistakes, a couple of recent races where he wasn't quite performing the way he wanted. But I think he's really come back strong today. Um, not the best car, we know this, uh, but he did a really good job today to to score a point with it. Totally agree. I was watching uh, Ted's notebook from Sky on YouTube uh, in bed last night. I'm not sure why I give you that extra bit of detail, but it was the end of the day. I thought, oh, I'll just quickly watch this. And this isn't meant to be a gotcha in any kind of way, but, um, you know, T- Ted said, oh, well, look, with Daniel Ricciardo and the team, he's an eight-time winner, 32 podiums. He's clearly the number one now. And then, of course, uh, the next day, Yuki goes and uh, scores some points. And uh, Daniel drove well today, but 
certainly wasn't the team leader today, but I know Ted was not, not a gotcha. It's like Ted, Ted is right. Daniel Ricciardo is the lead driver uh, in that team, but we'll um, oh, we'll see where AlphaTauri go after the summer break as well. Right, Matt, I'll come to you. Final thoughts on who? Any other standout mentions that you want to give today before we go? Well, I want to just come back to Aston Martin and say... Uh, uh, I think I think uh, I expect better things of them in a, in the second half of the season. I know there's been this slump, and I know that any Aston Martin employee pretty much would have taken, apart from Lawrence Stroll, really would have taken where they are now relative to where they were last season as a step forward. But obviously, there's been that huge drop off. Um, I can't say too much in case get the lawyers or, or Lawrence Stroll sets his his henchman on me but there is now it's come to like a clear reason for the Aston Martin drop-off which is not quite to do with development direction but the races since have been recovering that lost ground and someone from Aston Martin put it to me that Spa effectively as they recovered that lost ground became a massive uh, three-day test session and they they're happy with how that test just went and puts them in good stead to sort of close the gap a bit over the shutdown and, and then come back fighting in the second half of the season. So, you know, maybe maybe Alonso hasn't had his last podium visit. Interesting. Finally, JBL, any mentions that you want to give before we go? Uh, there's, a, there's a couple. I can sort of mop up a few bits. I would like to echo um, Phil's comments on uh, Tsunoda. Um, and, and secondly, speaking of the second driver, while I was... Uh, Ambling around the uh, the the environs of the London Epre uh, while I was there, Cause I, mainly because I wanted to see if my Formula E pass still worked. I did bump into a certain ex F1 driver it, within the paddock. Commiserated him on the loss of his seat. Uh, he seemed to be in good spirits, surprisingly. So uh, it was nice to see Mr. De Vries wandering around that paddock. And I wonder if he'll be there next year. In terms of, of, of mentions, uh, Albon did have a good race earlier on in the race. You know, he was up in, in, in P7, um, a little bit hamstrung by, I think, tyre wear did for him a little bit. Uh, there was that three-stop strategy that took him right to the back of the field. He managed to get his way back up to P14, but by then he'd run out of time to meaningfully get into the points. But I think, you know, it's one of those days where the result doesn't quite match the endeavour. Um Espan Ocon had a good race, or you could see glimmers of, of Valtteri Bottas and Guan Yuzhou, um sort of pushing their way through the the, the midfield towards the end of the race. Ty West seemed to be quite good on the Alfa Romeo relative to the, the Haas, which was just falling backwards by the end. So no, no real amazing standout drives, but equally there were no drives today where when you... Uh, lovely readers read the Autosport driver rankings. There's no standout dreadful uh, results, certainly. So I think we're sort of going to be in the middle range of figures rather than any twos and threes, let's say, from the midfield runners. Uh, unfortunately, I like having a nice spread of results uh, on the driver rankings page. But uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, so yeah, hopefully uh, look out for that. One of my favourite things to do is to, if anyone that doesn't know, check out the driver rankings tomorrow when they go live. It's usually sort of early afternoon or that kind of time on the website. You get to do your own. So you get to see what we rated, uh, what Alex and JB or rated the drivers, and then you get to do your own. And then you can see what all the the sort of crowdsourced information, if you like, all the the the, the average results for that the, everyone reading it has given versus what we do as well and i and i love that because yes i quite enjoy being mean because i don't have to take it seriously so i do give more ones than and twos than uh, than than you would do but who got your last one martin i think it was probably perez Ooh. just because i was feeling mean 
That um, would that kind that would get me killed, Martin. Because it was undeserved. It wasn't it wasn't a genuine one, but I just thought, oh, you are sunshine. You need to learn a lesson. I'm giving you a one. <laughs> and it made me feel good. It made me I can't I can't lie, it made me feel good. You're playing a dangerous game. <laughs> I'm already long out of the, the Perez fan club. Uh kicked out long ago. Uh but there we go. Hey, we made it. Made it to the uh, the summer break, but there'll be plenty more. If you want to carry on uh, following uh, all your favourite motorsport, then make sure you are glued to autosport.com and Autosport Plus, the subscriber area that uh, you can uh, that you can head into for the deeper analysis that we do, our best long reads as well, and the magazine, of course, dropping through your letterbox every Thursday. If you already do, then thank you for supporting the work that we do. And if not, you can find out more details online of how to be a subscriber. You can check out the YouTube video that we made straight after the race today. We talk more about the weather in that and the tyres and uh, yesterday's sprints, uh, which we kind of covered off on the podcast yesterday, but you can do uh, delve into that if you want to on our, our channel and all the various social media channels as well. I would encourage you to follow for your fix of motorsport whilst F1 takes a well-earned break. Thank you for listening and we'll see you on the next one. Podcast Network.